From the Medical Republic, I'm Francine Crimmins. This is The Tea Room. Today, GP trainees across Australia are sitting their key feature problem exams. The test is considered the most difficult of the three RACGP fellowship exams. This episode, we recap the events of the week that almost saw the Western Australian candidates miss the exam because of a stay-at-home order across Greater Perth. Late yesterday, the doctors were granted a last-minute exemption by the Western Australian Government and will be able to attend the paper-based exam with a permit. Candidates in both Victoria and Western Australia will have to sit both the KFP and the AKT taking place tomorrow while wearing a mask. Also on the show... I urge countries that have contracted more vaccines than they will need and are controlling the global supply to also donate and release them to COVAX immediately, which is ready today to roll out out them uh, out quickly. The chief of the World Health Organization has warned against catastrophic moral failure in how COVID vaccines are being distributed. And should countries like Australia really be at the front of the line when it comes to securing COVID vaccines? It's Friday, February 5. Welcome to the first episode of The Tea Room. I'm Francine, a journalist with the Medical Republic, and we've been so busy keeping on top of all the information of the pandemic for the last year, and now with the biggest vaccination program in Australian history just on the horizon, we thought it would be time to launch a podcast of this variety twice a week to keep everyone informed. And our goal is to bring you the most relevant news in medicine, primary care, and health politics in an easy and short episode. Today, I'm joined by my colleague and TMR's senior clinical reporter and editor of our clinical update edition, Ruby Prosser-Scully. Hi, it's great to be on the new podcast. Yeah, I think we're really going to be busy this year. We thought last year was busy, but already it's only been a month and it's just so hard to keep up. We so many questions. And it's hitting us uh, in some ways even more now because we're rolling up this health response. So Francine, what's been happening this week that GP should know about? Yeah, so it has actually been a pretty difficult week, I would say, if you're at the RACGP, particularly if you're working in exams and the fellowship exam delivery. And that is because, as you would remember, in October last year, we all thought, how could it get any any worse than this? As most people would know, the RACGP rolled out two major fellowship exams, which you would know as the key feature problem and the applied knowledge test in an online remote format. And basically within hours of the exam being set up ready to go, there was this massive system failure and all of these candidates were sitting at home and the exam was falling apart right in front of their eyes. And as you know, Ruby, there was such a massive fallout. It was basically a PR disaster for the college in how they dealt with it, in the way that they communicated with their members who were in these exams, the waiting periods to resit, and then eventually the fact that they entirely changed the format of the exam and it was then on pen and paper. This is like a worst nightmare case scenario. This is the kind of thing where you have nightmares about, you know, taking a test at school and then you're naked and everything is falling around outside of you. (laughs) I, I, I feel so sorry for those students. Yeah, and so following on from those events at the end of last year, many people would think, Yes, it's terrible, but at the end of the day, mistakes happen and we can take it as a learning moment to improve the way perhaps that the college delivers fellowship exams for candidates. 
So then what has happened this week is a series of events which almost caused fellowship exam cancellations for a second time in parts of Australia. So as you would know, on Sunday night, Western Australia went into a lockdown, which included the areas of metropolitan Perth, Peel and the southwest region. And it all started when a guard working in hotel quarantine tested positive to the virus. So at the time that this news broke about the lockdown coming into effect for the whole week, there were 69 GPs in training in this region and they immediately got online and started to talk to each other. And this lockdown wasn't due to end, as we said, until 6pm local time. And this was hours after the start time of the KFP. And you can imagine people were really starting to panic and they hadn't heard anything from the RACGP at that stage either. In fact, the RACGP didn't email the candidates until the following day on the Monday morning, and the answer was far from ideal. So in that email, candidates were told that it was likely that they would have to cancel the KFP in their area, provided that the lockdown lifted on the Friday night, as the government said it would, the AKT the following day would still go ahead. But they were also told that if the lockdown lifted earlier or the rules changed, then the KFP would still go ahead. So essentially then, it left everyone in this panicked limbo. Do we study? Do we not study? Which exam should we study for? Do we put more effort into one than the other? Do we waste our energy studying for one if it's not on? These are difficult exams as well. So you can imagine the stress, Ruby. As the initial shock and panic started to subside, there emerged this great activism among this group of trainees too. And remember... These are some of the most important exams of their career. So it's actually fairly impressive that in the last week they were also studying, but speaking to media, signing petitions and asking the WA government for an exemption so that they could go and sit this paper-based exam. And finally, their wishes came true because at lunchtime yesterday, the candidates were told by the college that an exemption had been granted and they would be able to go ahead with the exam as planned. So Ruby, just as this news broke yesterday, I called Dr. Samuel Ognenis. So he's sitting his KFP today and his AKT tomorrow. And here's what he had to say when he found out the good news. I mean, funnily enough, uh, weirdly excited to sit in the exam, which I didn't think I would say. Um, I think just having that bit more certainty about things and a bit more hope about things and having the opportunity to kind of put into you know, put onto paper kind of what, what's been studied and what we've been preparing for for a while and having at least having the opportunity, you know, whether it pass or fail, at least, you know, we've had the opportunity to sit it at the time we were hoping with the plans and um, what we'd had. Um, I think that's that's really heartening. So, you know, excited in that sense, um, more reinvigorated, definitely confused and certainly I don't think there's any, um, no one's under any um, sort of qualms uh, about, you know, the fact that this needed to happen um, and certainly after the exam we know that the, you know, the lockdown's probably only going to be um, eased rather than lifted. So certainly in terms of, you know, any plans for celebrations or anything I would expect would be, um, would be not happening. Um, so we're going to be sort of more quiet and private affair and things like that um, in terms of, um, you know, celebrating the end of the exam period. So it really is an incredibly fortunate situation that these trainees are able to sit their exams today. But I just have to point out that if this exemption wasn't granted in time, or say if you're in a state that actually called a lockdown at the very last minute, say the day before or two days before, and it didn't leave any time to get an exemption, 
The only other option the RACGP would offer is a reset. And in the example that we saw this week with the WA candidates, the earliest reset they were offered was in July. So it wasn't even a reset, it was just the next available exam session. July is so far away. Why weren't they offered another opportunity to set it in a couple of weeks if it has to be pen and paper? Or, I mean, surely by now the college has organised a, a way to do it online? Yeah, so this was the major grievance aired to us from some of the candidates who were obviously affected by this. They were saying, look, how can you not fix your IT systems after the massive failure at the end of last year and is it really acceptable that pen and paper is the only option and then on top of that obviously people are quite upset that they won't be able to sit until the next session. A lot of people this week were pointing to the contingency planning by other medical colleges such as the RACP. They have set up a contingency for exactly this happening for if you're caught in a lockdown and you can't attend an exam They have a date that is already set and it is four weeks after the original exam date. So people are now asking why the RACGP doesn't already have something similar in place. So Ruby, the other hot topic this week is the question of whether Australia is being greedy by taking more COVID vaccines than we really need. Yeah, well, the Prime Minister Scott Morrison recently announced that Australia had secured 140 million doses of COVID vaccines from about four different manufacturers, which, given two doses probably per person, that that will vaccinate about three times as many Australians than actually exist. So that seems like a bit of overkill, and that in combination with what's happening uh, with other high-income countries has sort of got critics kind of questioning whether this is morally and ethically the right thing to do. I mean, you know, you can look to the USA and you can look to the UK and I think that it's pretty fair to say they're in an awful situation right now and for them vaccinating their population is absolutely a priority. But then you look at a country like Australia and we are so, so lucky that we have right now virtually no transmission of COVID. So it's, you know, it really does raise that question. So I think that most Australians actually at the moment are looking around and, you know, in Victoria, they're almost hitting 30 days of no community transmission. Other states also are now hitting the multiples of no community transmission other than Western Australia, as we spoke about earlier. But it does really raise the question of even urgency for the public to be vaccinated and whether we should be thinking about countries where their hospital systems are just being overwhelmed by COVID cases. And so, you know, you might look at that and say, we as a sort of global player have an obligation to other countries, lower income countries, countries that don't have group like CSL, a local uh, vaccine manufacturer who's been able to secure domestic sort of supply for us and say that we should be trying to do our bit to help people that need it the most. But if that argument doesn't convince you, you might be more swayed by this line that no one is safe until everyone is safe. And what we're sort of seeing now potentially emerge as a threat, although there's a lot that we don't know, is these new variants. The UK variant seems remarkably quick at transmitting between people. We're also seeing another variant that was first spotted in South Africa, another one in Brazil. And that really drives home this message that if we high-income countries get vaccinated, stop 
transmission if the vaccines are able to do that and sitting here in our little bubble sort of feeling secure that we've done our bit to protect ourselves we might find ourselves in a position where largely unvaccinated population that has you know worse healthcare and isn't able to sort of prevent that transmission as much has new variants occur and at the moment it looks like the vaccines are still going to be relatively protective against it but we don't know if that's always going to be the case so it seems like the onus is also on us if we have you know medium to long-term thinking to just really ensure that the people who need it the most across the globe get vaccinated to really end this as soon as we can and not allow sort of reservoirs to occur threatening us later. And at the moment, is Australia lending any capacity to help vaccinate more vulnerable populations or at least healthcare workforces in countries that maybe don't have the same access to the vaccine supply? Yeah, so Australia is one of almost uh, 200 nations globally that signed on to this. It's what's called COVAX facility. So we have earmarked about $200 million. Partly what this facility does, it works as a sort of a collaborative effort wherein these nations give money to help develop different vaccines. And those vaccines will then become available to all the participating nations. But in particular, we've earmarked $80 million of that to specifically go to vaccinating lower income countries. When that happens, COVAX has sort of promised to distribute 2 billion doses to high priority groups across the world. So that will include healthcare workers and other sort of vulnerable groups. That's set to cover about one in five individuals in participating countries and 1.3 billion of that. So more than half is supposed to go to the 90-some low-income countries that are signed on to this. One of the issues here, though, is that, you know, Africa, for example, does not appear to have a sufficient amount to vaccinate its a large proportion of its population. So via COVAX, they're able to get about 25% of their population, it looks like at this stage, vaccinated. The African Union has organised an additional about 11%, but that still only leaves them about one in three which if you want to get herd immunity with something like the Pfizer vac, something very effective, you need about two thirds of the population to be vaccinated. So again, we're still in this situation where it's a great idea. It's nice that, you know, it, it, high income countries aren't totally hoarding all of the vaccine to themselves, but there is still an enormous gap. And unless that's changed, we're not likely to get herd immunity in those countries anytime soon. Ruby, thank you. See you next week, Francie. You've been listening to The Tea Room. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can search for us on your favourite podcast player and subscribe. Leave us a review if you like. And if you have any news tips or want to chat, you can email me at francine at medicalrepublic.com.au.